I don't know if you guys know, can change your life. Everything you have, everything you are as a Christian stands on what God says. Amen? Are you with me? All right. Hey, so we've been in a series on warfare, and I want to review with us and see where we're at. See if we've been, who's been getting anything out of the last few weeks? Uh, junior high, yeah, kids go. We're good. Yeah, go for it. Love you and stuff. And good riddance. No, wait. Um, have a great time. Have a good time. No, I love those kids. And thank you. Let's just bless the leaders right now that are back there. God, just pray for the leaders that are teaching right now and bless them and bless their uh, learning time right now. So who's been getting anything out of the last few weeks? Yeah? Amen? Have good, having good conversations? Yeah? Good, good thinking, good meditation with God during the week because you're in a war no matter what, right? You're in a warfare whether you like it or not. <laughs> There's no uh, conscientious objectors in the kingdom, right? You can stick your head in the sand and pretend that it's not real, but that doesn't matter. It's real. And so you can either fight for what is rightfully yours through the blood of Jesus and the cross, or you can stick your head in the sand and wait till you die and go to heaven. Because you still will. God loves you. But, or you can start walking in this life all that God has for you. Because remember the word, it's not about today. It's about what God's planned for us for an eternity. But listen very closely. Someone needs to hear this today. What you do now determines not whether or not you'll go into eternity with God, but how you live in eternity with God. Come on. If you think that you can just say, I love you, Jesus, come into my heart and just do whatever you want for your whole life and have the same experience in eternity that someone else does that sacrifices and gives their life away, you are sorely mistaken and you do not know God. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Will he love you? Yeah, you're going to be in heaven. He'll love you. But I'm telling you, God is a rewarder. And he is looking and roaming around looking for someone who's going to do the will of God. And he was going to bless that, and he will reward that. Yes, Are you with me? Excuse me? Do you have any idea what it might be? Yeah, it's going to be better. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not talking about levels here, but church, I'm talking about the fact that if you think that you can... Be a Christian, live your life the way you want, and that's it, and not fight for what God has for you, and not do what God's called you to do. Remember the talents, the story of the talents? Remember one was given five and ten, and remember that whole story? The concept there really is that you have to, God is expecting you to take what he's given you and produce fruit with it. That is an expectation. That's not just a if you feel like it. It's a mandate. Remember, remember what the, uh, the king said to the wicked servant when he took his one, here, I, I knew you were a hard guy. Here's your one talent. Uh, I just hit it. Here, here it's back. What did he say? Oh, that's okay. Still love you and stuff. No, wicked, lazy servant. Sent him out into darkness where there's... Uh, you guys, we have got to t get this in our hearts that there is a, a war going on, there is a fight, and we've got to enter in. We've got to enter in with all our hearts. Amen? Amen. So, uh, in review, we're in a war, whether we like it or not. And remember, in your notes there, you can write down um, some, some thoughts from the past week, but remember that we fight for our inheritance. And remember, it's twofold. We're in a war, not just for ourselves, but for others, right? We are fighting this war to walk in the promised land that God has for us. Remember, we looked at the Old Testament, and we saw that Joshua and the children of Israel were promised Canaan as a promised land for them. But remember, they had to go in and take the land. It was given to them by God. It was a free gift like salvation is, but then they had to work out their own salvation and go in and actually battle and fight for what was already rightfully theirs. So we are fighting today, we're not fighting for land, we don't fight in the physical, our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual forces right in heavenly places. That's where our fight is. So today, we look back at the Old Testament as a school book and a, a teacher for us, and we say, what can we learn from that story? And we see that we have a promised land today. 
And we've got to take it by faith as well. Not sitting here waiting around until Jesus comes back and raptures us out, which isn't even in the Bible, but that's a different subject, and takes us and raptures us out right before and saves us from the bad stuff. That is a hoax, guys. God is calling us to live by faith. Those who endure to the end shall be saved. God wants you to walk out your faith. Have you ever looked at Bible stories like Daniel, and you think, man, what would I have done if I was in his shoes? You know, and there's a big idol, and everyone bowed down, and so you're going to be thrown into this furnace, or hanged, or get your head chopped off. Would you have the courage to do that? But God is calling us at every generation to have that level of courage to take our faith that far, to walk by faith and not by sight, to not count our lives as anything, but only a representation of, of serving God with everything we are and have. God has called us to death, guys, to crucify this flesh and live for him by his spirit. So we're in a war. We're fighting for an inheritance for us, but we're also fighting for those that do not know him. The reason we have to get ourselves into a place good with God where we're fighting for our, what, what he's rightfully given us is so that we can share it with others. It's not about you just getting freed up from the bondage of sin and death and coming to know Christ and living an abundant life for him, but it's about you taking that gift, finding and getting healed, and then go healing someone else. God has called you to be a healer. Do you understand that? Every one of you, God has called you to go heal somebody. Do you know that before the disciples got baptized in the Holy Ghost, check this out. So they're saved because they're believing in Christ, right? That's how you're saved. You believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins, and you believe that in your heart and you confess it with your mouth and you shall be saved. So the disciples, when they, started, when they put their faith in Christ, they became born again. And Jesus sent them out the 12 out, and then he set the 72 out. And what did they do? They healed the sick and cast out devils. Every one of them. And check, think about that today. God is calling you to do the same. To get healing yourself, to get born again, to get saved and delivered from the stuff that's keeping you back from your fullness. And then once you do that, it doesn't stop there. God's calling you to go out into your world, to your neighborhood, your connections, and preach the gospel heal the sick, cast out devils, and preach the good news. That's what he's calling us to do, every one of us. It's not just for me, it's not just for a preacher or an evangelist, it's for you. God is empowering you. God doesn't distinguish between people and say, oh, you're an anointed speaker, so you have more than I'll give so-and-so that's just sitting out here. Uh-uh. God doesn't see that way. God doesn't see levels and authority ranks with us. We all have the option to go and, and operate in faith, from the littlest kid to the oldest person in the building can operate in faith that they choose to trust God. You good? All right, let's go. So next, uh, review. So we talked about our battlefield. We talked about if in a warfare, if we're in different locations, we use different tactics, right? So obviously, depending on where we're fighting, we'd use different types of artillery. Or if we were in a different planet where the atmosphere would be changing, we might have to, we can't just go fight in this. We have to adapt things. So we learned that we need to understand our battlefield, and we learned that just in the name of our arch enemy, the devil, we learned what his name meant, remember? And what was that? Throw through. Diabolos. Diablos, right? Bolos is a weapon with uh, three strings with the rocks or heavy weighted that you swing over your head like this, right? And you throw it at your prey, and it wraps its legs up, and you get tangled up to be killed. And dia was to throw through. So to throw through. So we learn that the enemy's tactics or the, the battlefield that we fight in is a, ba a battle right up here in our hearts and in our minds where the enemy tries to lure us in by th throwing principles or thoughts through our head to see if we'll latch on and agree with it and go, yeah, I, I want to do that, right? Do you remember that, right? So Brad, get up here real quick. I want to make sure we illustrate this. Stand over here. Yes, sir. Good to see you. So when the enemy throws a thought to you and you have a thought, now remember there's different thoughts. There's your own self-generated thoughts. There's the enemy will speak, and when he speaks, it's not a thought. It's a voice, right? You might think, oh, those are just my self-generated thoughts, but they're really, it's a really a voice from a kingdom that you've got to uh, uh, um, take captive. 
Or there's other people, people in your life that speak to you in the physical realm speaking, those come into your mind and you, you dwell on what that person said so you can latch on to what they said too. People can word curse you. You're nothing, no good, you're, no, you're an idiot. If you believe that, you come into agreement with that thought, you give that thought power in your life. So if I come up and I, and, and sorry, you're gonna be the devil, but if the devil comes and says, hey, you can't pastor this church, you're not good enough, and I go, man, you know what, I, I, did, I couldn't do this, and I didn't do this good enough, or whatever, and I go, yeah, you're right. Coming into agreement with a thought, and so what I'm doing is I'm saying, I'm agreeing with your concept of who I am, and so I get, thus I give you influence and power in my life because I believe that thought. That's what we do every day when we come into agreement with a lie. And how do we expose lies? With the truth. And where's the truth? God's word is our standard. And that's where truth comes from. So if a thought comes in, remember we talked about taking it to the throne of God. The Bible says, Paul says, take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. So if a thought comes up to us and he says, hey, you're no good, you can't do it, I've got to go, mm, I don't think that's right. Uh, Jesus, what do you think about this? And he says, no, no, my word says you can do all things through Christ. I've made you from before you were born. I planned your life out. You can do it. you got the Holy Spirit in you. You can do anything in my name. Okay, uh, no agreement today. Get out. Right? I think so. So, we have to understand the principle of agreement. That's where it's at. That's where our battle's at. And when we come into agreement with those thoughts, we give the enemy power and influence over our life. Myth number one, this is not in your notes, it's a bonus. Myth, myth number one about spiritual warfare is that uh, the question is, can a Christian have a demon? Or is it, can a Christian be demon-possessed? So the myth there is, is that the word possessed, the Bible translates the word into demon possessed, but actually the word for possession in the Greek is not present in the context of the New Testament. So whenever you see the word demon possessed, know that that is an incorrect translation, and there's five different Greek words for possession. Not one of those five Greek words for possession is ever used next to or alongside the word for demon in the New Testament. But yet, King James in, 16, in the 1600s translated the word into demon possessed when it wasn't even really there. And that's a whole side thing we could, we could talk about. But the facts are that we've grown up, all of us have grown up in a church where we read our Bibles, ooh, they're possessed. Oh, they're owned by, well, then I'm saved, and I can't, a demon can't own me, so therefore, a demon can't do anything to me. And so we, we create this world and this concept of the battle rules, but they're incorrect. So we're going around with false information. So the myth is, is that a Christian can't be harassed or influenced by a demon, but the truth is, the Bible says, it's, a, it's more of a demonization is the better translation, meaning influenced by a demon. So that person was influenced by a demon. So when the guy came out from the garden, remember he was cutting himself and yelling and he was naked running, remember ran over to Christ? He was highly influenced by a demon. So we think, oh, that's crazy guy. That'll never happen in here in America and blah, blah, blah. And then, we, but that's our concept, but we realize that, wait, if there's a high level of influence for him, there can be lower levels. And I'm telling you, church, the enemy spends, or the, 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 the word in the New Testament spends a lot of time, the apostles spend a lot of time talking about fighting, being alert, staying watchful, don't give in the enemy a place, take your authority in Christ, be strong and courageous, don't be afraid. Why do you think they're saying that? If our battle's not against flesh and blood, why, why is the whole New Testament filled with that? Because the enemy is coming in trying to lure you in. And it's not about whether he can possess you. Once you're saved, your spirit man becomes one with the Lord, the Bible tells us. Your spirit and the Lord's spirit become one at salvation. And it is also not only one, but it is born of an incorruptible seed. Incorruptible. So don't worry about your spirit. Worry about your mind and your soul and letting the enemy attach himself on you with a big meat hook in your soul. Because that's what happens when you come into agreement. So the myth buster is this, that 
it's not about demon possession because that's not even in the Bible. It's about demons influencing your thinking to believe lies to get you in bondage. So we learned the last thing in your notes there for our review is a stronghold. What is a stronghold? Can you guys fill in these uh, uh, on your own? A stronghold is a, what did we talk about last week? I got to become a better teacher because no one could remember. A stronghold is a, remember we said when we were building that wall right here? Thank you. We think it's a wall, so we think we have all this space to run out, but what, what happens is we're building the wall around us. So when we, we're defending against this thing, we don't want, we're, we're thinking we're saving ourselves, but we're really building walls around us, which makes us in a prison. So a stronghold is a prison that you put yourself into because you have, remember, yoked yourself to a lie and come into an agreement with hell on any given subject. Remember the Bible said, do not be yoked with non-believers, and we talked about the word yoked, which is that heavy burden that you put on a, two cattle to keep them in line and connected together, right? So they don't get out of line. And it's the same yoking that the, excuse me, that the enemy comes, and as you agree with the enemy, what you're doing is you're putting a yoke on your neck along with the enemy, and it keeps you yoked and in bondage to this lie, and so thus they can have influence. Why? If you're yoked with something, that's evil, then when they move and they trigger and they do something, you kind of, you get jarred with them. You become less independent and you become dependent on them. And when they move, you, you're, you're triggered to move because of what you believe. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What's in the heart's going to come out the mouth. What you believe in here in the battlefield of the mind, you're going to produce in your life. If you don't like something that's going on in your life, if you don't like the fear that's going on or the stress or anxiety or depression or whatever's going on in your life that you don't like, that's just the fruition of what's really going on in your heart. You need to dig down deep in your heart and go, why am I thinking this way? Why am I feeling depressed? Why am I having this um, fruition in my life? There must be something in my heart that needs adjustment. Make an adjustment. Get your heart more in line with God's word. Thus, your activity and, and the, the fruition or the summation of that will turn into what God wants for your life. Are you with me? Okay. And then lastly, we talked about taking every thought captive, and really we talked about what to do with that. So that's where we're at today. So today, as I was praying last week, I was like, Lord, where do you want to go from here? We got a couple more things we need to talk about. And he's like, I want you to give um, the church a, a quick big picture again of, of where we're at and how we should be viewing this. I, I label my um, sermon today to stay alert, to be alert or be watchful. And so I want, I, want to, I want to read to you just a quick little thing of what God spoke to me when I said, God, what are you trying to say this week to our church? And so this might minister to you. So if this ministers to you, make sure you take a note down because this is going to speak to you. It spoke to me, actually, but I believe this is for our whole church. So the enemy's goal is to keep Christ from fully manifesting himself in you and through you. Greg, we're recording, right? Thank you, sir. The enemy's goal is to keep Christ from fully manifesting himself in you and through you. If he can keep you distracted from your development and stagnate you, he's winning. Every day we have opportunities to manifest Christ to others and we cannot afford time off. Would you take time off from oxygen? No. The Spirit said, yesterday's manna is gone. Stop feeding yourself. Start feeding yourself. Now listen to this, church, and personalize this for you, not your neighbor. God's saying to us, stop relying on your past experiences, your spouse, your pastor, etc. Don't substitute teachings, books, Facebook post articles, conversations, small group gatherings for the meditation in God's word. And, and I speak this out lovingly, but there are some of you out there today that have substituted your quiet closet time with Jesus and your meditation on his holy word, and you're not doing that hardly at all, but you are, you're having good conversations. And those aren't bad. You're having good conversations with your friends about Jesus. You're reading a good article on Facebook about what pastor so-and-so says about whatever. You're listening to wonderful sermons when you come to the rivers. Amen. Thank you. Um, 
you're having great small group discussions and going through workbooks. Those are all good things. But the problem with that, if that is a substitute for your daily alone time with God where you're sitting before him with the word of God, not the word of so-and-so, not the opinion of so-and-so, but the word, the living, active, powerful word of God, you're not sitting there with the Holy Spirit sitting right next to you, leading you into all truth and teaching you things right from his word. You have the possibility and the very likelihood of going astray just a little bit. If you get in a plane and they're 0.5 degrees off, engineer friend, will you end up in the right place? Probably not. It may be a little and unrecognizable at the beginning, but as you go over time, you get further and further. Guys, listen to what the Israelites did. Their, the whole Bible from Genesis on was about the Messiah coming, and they missed it. Their scriptures, the prophets, the teachings, all that was pointing to one thing, Jesus, the Christ, coming in the flesh, and they missed it. Why? Because they, got, they, they learned by the traditions of man. Rabbi so-and-so told Rabbi so-and-so that taught so-and-so that taught so-and-so. And generation after generation, the teaching got in it tweaked a little bit, got changed a little bit, da-da-da-da-da, and all of a sudden, the promise arrives, and they don't even know him. Darkness couldn't recognize it. So my, my, my thought to you, and the Holy Spirit is trying to say to us, guys, Christ is wanting to manifest through us in power every day. And we cannot afford to just miss out on our alone time with Christ, to meditate on his word day and night. Let's, here's a few scriptures that I wrote down for you. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for the good of those that love God, to those who are called and according to his purposes. Verse 29, for whom he foreknew, listen, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Guys, that's what this life is about, is being conformed into the image of Christ. Right? That's the point. Joshua 5, uh, 12 says, The manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. The children of Israel no longer had manna. Remember, we talked about entering from the desert into the promised land. They crossed the river, right? Picture salvation and the Spirit baptizing them for power to, do their, their, to take the land. But when they got into that land, it's, the manna stopped. It's time to grow up, church. It's time for you to mature as a Christian and start feeding yourself and taking responsibility for your spiritual growth. It's time. It's, we can't keep, don't quit coming to church expecting donuts and cookies and all these good stuff. It's gonna, we're going to do that, and that's going to help you, but you can't rely on that. The manna has stopped for you. If you really want to take your promised land, it's going to be when you as a Christian enter into a relationship with God to where you're meditating on the, the word of God yourself and getting fresh manna from him. You've got to get that fresh manna, church. That's what gives you the strength to take the land. You can't take the land on old manna. You need fresh rhema, fresh uh, revelation from God out of the word through the Holy Spirit that will empower you to live the life God's called you to live. Is that reaching your heart? Are you, is it there? Is it clicking? All right. Another scripture we have there, Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, go into your private room, closing the door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you in the open. You've got to get to that closet, that private room. Too many of us in our church are reading good articles, reading good books, listening to good sermons, but we're relying on that and not relying on him. Are you with me? Yeah. Good. And then John 16, I still have, Jesus said this. This is, a, this is a cool concept. Jesus said, I still, in John 16, so the end of his ministry, he's getting ready to go to the cross. He says, I still have many things to say to you. Just ponder that. Selah. Stop, think about that. Jesus said, before he left, he had taught him all this stuff. He said, I still got a lot of stuff to talk to you about. Think about that. And then he says, but you can't handle that right now. However, when he, capital H, comes, the spirit of truth, he will guide you 
into all truth. So in other words, when the Spirit comes, he will tell you and teach you all those things that I couldn't get around to because you're not ready yet. So there's more to be learned. There's more to be taught. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you of things to come. Hmm, Wouldn't that be nice? Be a little more prepared for your day when the Holy Spirit and you meet in the morning. You meet with your Holy Spirit mentor in the morning, and he gets you ready for the day. Because you know what? He knows what's coming. And he might not tell you exactly what's coming, but he will make sure that you're ready to handle whatever comes your way. Amen? So we have to be aware. We have to be alert. We have to be sober. We have to be alert and uh, have an awareness about us because the enemy is uh, uh, roaming around like a lion. Do you remember that verse? We've said it a lot in church, right? 1 Peter 5.8. I want you to look at that. 1 Peter 5.8 says this. Be sober, be vigilant, uh, vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Devour means to completely, means to swallow and gulp up completely whole, in one whole. I want to look at some of those words, because this, this scripture came alive to me, and there's some things in here that I want you to know about when you're fighting this war. The word sober. To be sober actually means pretty much what you think. To abstain from wine is what that word actually means. But obviously, it's it's figuratively speaking that we keep a clear mind, that we be discreet, right? We're careful in our speech and our actions, right? Especially to, uh, in order to avoid causing offense or to gain an advantage. So we're we're discreet. So we're being sober, clear-minded, keeping our mind ready. Why does does, uh, Peter talk about keeping your mind clear when you're worried about an adversary roaming around for you. Wouldn't it be better if you said, hey, keep your 45 right here? You know, so when the line, right? So obviously it's not physical, it's spiritual. So if the enemy is going to be a thought caster, wouldn't it be wise for Peter to say, keep your mind clear and sharp and awake and alert? Then he goes, he says, be sober or be alert or vigilant, which means to keep awake. Really, in in, in an example of that, would be to keep on watch. So keep a clear mind and be alert. And actually, if you look into the root word of of, of vigilant, it talks about the idea of collecting one's faculties when you're awakened. So it's the concept of awaking someone, and you know when you come out of a deep sleep and you're kind of, you're coming to an awareness That word, that's in that root word, and it really talks about being sober-minded, but being awake and alert and coming to an alertness. And if you look into that root, it also talks about coming from or rousing out of a sleep from a disease, from death, or figuratively it talks about from obscurity or inactivity or non-existence. So really it's about getting your mind back into where you're an alert and what's really going on and not sticking your head in the sand, just ignoring what's going on and letting the the enemy wreak havoc in your life. Does that make sense? So I want this verse to come alive. So be sober, be alert-minded, be awake and watchful. Don't fall asleep right now. Don't be lackadaisical. Be alert in your spirit. Then it says, because your adversary, which is really, the the word for adversary talks about your opponent. And your opponent, not just in a match, but your opponent in a lawsuit. It's a legal term, meaning your adversary, the person who's against you, trying to bring accusations against you in a court of law, the devil, which we've talked about, diablos, right? The thought caster, in this tense of the word, it talks about, The devil means here to speak badly or tell lies about someone so as to damage their reputation. That's the definition of that word. Think about this. Peter's saying, be sober, be alert, don't fall asleep, rouse yourself up because there's a battle going on. Why? Because your adversary, you have an opponent that's out trying to convict you and get you to be guilty, right? And he's out to destroy your character and to destroy your life. The Bible says he comes to still kill, and destroy, right? And then I almost skipped over the next two words. Because it just says, your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. But as I was looking on the, the Greek words there, and it was all in my Bible program, and I was like, 
and I looked at the word walks about, it triggered a thought in my mind, and I was like, where have I seen this word? I know it's just a simple, it literally means walking about, but there's more to it than that. And as I thought about and I read the definition, the definition in this context means to tread all around, to walk at large, especially as proof of ability. Think about that. So the adversary, the devil, is treading, walking at large, trying to prove that he's doing something, uh, to, to, he's following, he's looking for something. I thought, I've heard that concept. And then Holy Spirit said, Job chapter 1. Oh, what's in Job? Okay, let's read Job. So Job chapter 1, and you don't have to read with me, you can mark that, but the Bible says in Job chapter 1, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came along with them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered, and, and the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth, walking about. Walking about, back and forth on it. Really? Then the Lord said to Satan, this is where translation gets bad. It says, have you, have you considered my servant Job? That is poor. The, the real the Hebrew words say, have you set your heart upon my servant Job? That I'm, I'm going to do a whole series on Job in the future, which you'll love. And it, I'm, when I read this, I got excited. I wanted to do it this week, but he said no. But the translation says, have you considered? So the myth or the lie says that God's up there going, have you considered Gary, devil? Why don't you harass him and beat the crap out of him? <laughs> right? Is that how I, I, that's how I read it. Wait a minute. God said, well, don't be considering me. God, why are you talking? I, you know, I love you and stuff, but don't say, hey, well, see, see how strong this guy is. Have you considered Gary? <laughs> Have Adam. He loves you. <laughs> are you with me? A lot of people think that way, and that thinking is incorrect and will get you into bondage, and it will bring the spirit of doubt and unbelief, and you will not be able to walk in faith. But that's another story. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered or have you set your heart on my servant Job? There is none like him in all the earth, blameless and an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job God fear for nothing? Have you not? This is Satan speaking. Because what has Satan been doing? Walking around. Where is he walking? Where is he walking around? Where, where, where is he at? God knows where he's at. And he reveals where he was at. He said, have you not put a hedge around Job? Around his household and all, around all that he has on every side? So picture that. Satan's walking around Job's life, but there's this hedge of protection around Job. What's he looking for? A little void, a little hole, a little unkept place in Job's spiritual life, a little back door, some way. So there was a hedge that the enemy could not get through because God was protecting him. And I thought, back to 1 Peter, wait a minute. Be sober, be alert, because your adversary, your opponent in the lawsuit the devil who's trying to accuse you and make you look bad and ruin you is walking about your life trying to find a hole in the hedge that God has around you. He's trying to find a weak link in your spiritual life so that he can go in and exploit it and use it for his ways. And I thought, no wonder Peter's saying, be, be vigilant. Be alert. Be ever looking around and, and guarding your, your, your life and saying, okay, God, what's going on? Is there any weak place in me? Because he's walking around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may swallow up. And I thought, Lord, wow. Talk about spiritual warfare. If that doesn't set a precedent for us in our lives to make sure that we are walking in obedience to God. Church, when you walk out of, uh, out of in disobedience with God, you are breaking down your hedge. You break down the hedge that God wants around you. He wants to protect you. In fact, in Psalms 3, listen to this, and it it's about deliverance. Oh, Lord, 
How many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Selah, think about it. But you are a shield around me. Can I stop right there? Do you know the word there actually means shield? It's a shield round about you. And it really could be translated the shield that has your back or your backside. Because really, if you think about it, your shield here, and usually the enemy is right there and you're shielding, right? Protected, boom, boom, boom. However, it says here that you're a shield round about me, that not only you're protecting me here, but you have a hedge. You're protecting me on all sides, so when some sucker comes in the back and you don't see him trying to get you in the back, God's got your back. So he says, but you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You bestow glory on me, and you lift up my head. The Lord, To the Lord I cried aloud, and he answered from his holy heel, Selah. I lie down and sleep. I awake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear. So, this, so when you translate the Bible, you've got to look in context. And so this verse gives us context about the shield, whether it's just one shield in front of us or around us. He says this, I lie down and sleep, and I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. The reason David will not fear, because he knows God's not only is his shield, but he's his shield round about him, protecting him on every side. That's why David could confidently say, I will not fear when 10,000 soldiers are surrounding me to kill me. Later, Elisha would look back on this verse. When he was in the city of Dothan, he would, he would remember this verse. And he was in Dothan, and all the Syrian army was surrounding him. Thousands upon thousands of soldiers surrounding him. Sure death, his servant actually came and said, Master, they surrounded us. We're done for. And he said, not in his own fruition, because he meditated on the word. Remember we talked meditated on the word. He knew that God was a shield around him. He said, oh, God, open up my servant's eyes that he might see. And God opened the servant's eyes. And what did the servant see? The army angels of God numbering in the tens of thousands of thousands, which means multiplication. So hundreds of thousands of angels, all fiery chariots all around him. And then you realize, oh, God's got me. There's no need to fear. Amen. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. Verse 8, from the Lord comes deliverance. Salvation, completeness, wholeness. May your blessing be on your people. So be alert, church. And I think as we, as we wrap up this week and next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about some uh, fighting warfare principles. But... As you think about this and you go forward with taking your personal promised land, walking in the gifting that God's given you, defeating strongholds in your own life that, you are, that are tormenting you, remember this to be alert. Remember this, that God's your shield. Remember that the enemy is roaring around, so God says, be alert. Stay alert. Don't fall asleep on me. Stay diligent with you and the Holy Spirit meditating on the power because the word of God is your only offensive weapon. You need to use that. You know, and as I thought about war, and even at Veterans Day, I thought about, I, the thought came to me, well, why, why, do, why do people lose wars? And it just became a question, like, why does someone lose a war? And I, I looked up a couple things, and I thought, this is really interesting. And the Lord said, share this, because this will help people, and relate this to the spiritual realm, about why people lose wars. So as you're going on a, 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 a venture to fight for what God has given you, don't let these befall you. Because these are some reasons, these are five reasons why people, countries, uh, have lost wars. The first thing, reason they lose a war, is because they're not fully committed. Many, many countries will go to war, but they, they're not going to be fully committed and pour in all their resources. I believe we did that in Vietnam, where we didn't pour all our stuff in, so we didn't, you know, whatever. So when that, but even in Iraq, too, there, this concept... Check this uh, percentage out. 75% of the soldiers that were deployed in Iraq were not in actual combat. That's just interesting to me. And I know there needs to be a lot of structure and backing and support for our military. But in a war, if you're not fully invested and committed and everyone's on the front lines fighting, you're going to have a tough time winning. 
and relate that now to your personal life, your personal war that you have with the enemy. If you're not fully committed in this walk with Christ, you're going to suffer from that. That will bring hardship. You've got to be fully committed to the Lord in order to take this promised land, to inherit what God has given you. You've got to have a 100% heart into this fight because God has commanded us that we are his. We are, we are uh, his warriors. Yep. Yes. Yep. Amen. So we got to be fully committed. The next thing was the invading army was not on its own land. So the when it's hard when a you an army goes over to another country and they're and they're not if they're not fully committed or they later on which is they don't know what they're fighting for they go to another land that's not theirs they have no skin in the game man their family's back home their houses are back home and they're fighting on land and the people that are there fighting for their land are desperate they got skin in the game man that's my house I built that house my kids are there man this is my place. And so there's a defense that rises up to us. So I would say in our, in our spiritual lives, we got to recognize that we're fighting. We have skin in the game. This is our life, man. we got to fight the enemy because what, what is rightfully ours through the cross, he's trying to take from us. Are you with me? Is that making sense? So in your life, is that your own? Are you fighting for your own land? Is your heart in it fully? And then this is an interesting from Iraq, too, is that they didn't know the language. So what happened in, in Iraq, there was a story of a guy that was an interpreter, but this interpreter didn't know the language as well as he needed to. In fact, they were in a location where the dialect was similar, but enough off that where this guy was giving inaccurate information. So he was hearing the words, not able to translate, thus giving intel to his own team that wasn't quite right. And so that cost them lives and time and, and advancement. And in the spirit realm today, in our lives, in our fight, if we don't know the enemy's schemes, we're unaware of the, Paul says, don't be unaware of the enemy's schemes. Basically, know the language. Know what you're in. That's what we've been talking about for three weeks. Amen? Know what's going on. Don't be unaware. Go into the battle knowing and understanding. Know the language. Know what God says about it. Know what you're up against. Know what your power, know what your weapons are. Have knowledge of that. Know the language. And then... The fourth one was fear of death. A lot of people and a lot of countries will go, I don't know if that's worth the cost. Is it, it's going to cost us a lot of lives. War is messy. War, people get injured. People get killed in warfare. That's part of it. And some countries are not willing and are afraid of that. So because of the fear of death, they don't even go fight. And I think some spiritually here today, we are afraid of this fight. So we just abstain from it. And we want to be in our status quo, and we just say, oh, you know what? I don't want to fight because it can get too messy. I'll just stay safe over here and wait for my ship to come in from Jesus, and, and I'll be to heaven one day. Don't let fear keep you from fighting. Because, oh, death, where is your sting? None of us in this room should be afraid to die. Because to be absent from the body is present with Jesus, Right? This, this is a temporary, like Kelly, I think you said it, this is a temporary place. We're just intense, guys. We're just waiting for the real deal. We're getting ready and prepared for the real deal. So we can't get too, our hearts can't be too attached to this place. Because this isn't our home, guys. We're believing for a better home. And the last one is, um, don't know, they don't know why they're fighting. They don't know or they don't have a purpose. A lot of wars are lost because the army goes on. They're like, what are we fighting for? We don't even know the purpose. We're just over here taking orders and doing We don't even know. If, what, what, what reason is it? What's the purpose for this? We want to fight for a cause. And I think spiritually we do that. We get caught up and we're doing this. And, but we got to know what we're fighting for. We're fighting for the promises of God in our life to be yes and amen, to walk in that fullness, to see other people come to Christ, to see other people come out of bondage and be saved, to save the, the, the homeless and, and the, the widows and that. I mean, that's what we're fighting for. And when we know that, we can win the war if we know why we're fighting it because that gives us courage and strength to continue on. So in your life, just know why you're fighting and remind yourself why you're fighting. Amen? amen. You still good? Everyone good? Yeah. Okay, you're learning something, you're encouraged. I want to encourage you today. So we're going to end with, um, remember how we looked a few weeks ago about um, Eve and her um, confrontation with the enemy? Remember we learned some things from that? We learned how she didn't know God's word and she misquoted God 
And then she, remember how we talked about she got in a conversation with the devil? And we said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't ever get in a conversation with a manipulating liar. <laughs> manipulating liars want you to just start talking because that's how they manipulate and lie. They can't manipulate and lie if you say, no, I'm not talking to you. Get away from me. So Eve got suckered into getting into a conversation with the enemy. So we saw some uh, things that we could learn, how, how do we fight the enemy? And then we said, we said then that we would talk later about, well, what did Jesus do? Because Jesus encountered the enemy too, several occasions. But one very, very popular one was before he was anointed, before he did any miracles. Remember he was fasting for 40 days? Remember that? And he encountered the enemy. And it says in Matthew 4, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Go figure. The tempter came to him and said, if, if you are the Son of God, tell those stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and stand him on the highest point of the temple and said, again, if you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, the Bible says, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot on a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdom and all the world and all the splendor. He said, all this I will give you. And he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left. And then in, the, um, in Luke, it says, the devil left for a more opportune time. So let's look at a few things in, in closing today that we can learn from that. So as you go this week and onward, fighting spiritually for what's yours by the word of God, that you will learn some principles from Jesus of how to fight, how to be prepared, and how to take the, the enemy out. The first thing, the pre-thought is this, that these, all these temptations from the enemy were really tempting to Jesus. Sometimes we think, oh, this was nothing, like, he's the king of kings, he's God in the flesh, this didn't even get him, you know what I mean? But you got to understand, if, if this wasn't tempting, then the, the Bible would be lying when it said he was tempted. The Bible in Hebrews also said that God was tempted in every way we are yet without sin. So we have to understand that Jesus, even though we think he, he and he was awesome, but we think, oh my gosh, he had so much heart, we can't do that because he's, no. If Jesus did it, you can do it in the flesh. Jesus said, you will do everything I did and greater things. So if he was tempted, these were real temptations, so note that. Second pre-thought is that I want you to no notice the timing of this attack. Fasting 40 days. The enemy likes to come and kick you when you're down and weak, when you go through a traumatic time maybe, right? So notice, notice that. So the first thing I learned from this was that the Spirit of God leads us into battles. Notice in verse uh, three or verse one and two that the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness to be tempted. So having battles and having struggles in life is not something that is just like, oh my gosh, why, why is this happening to me? No, our perspective needs to change and we need to understand that the Spirit of God is training us. The Spirit of God is making us ready to be the warriors that he's calling us to be because the things we get to do in eternal life we're being prepared for now. And God's got you in a training ground. So the trials that come in your life, like James says, consider it pure joy, my brethren, when various trials come into your life. Why? Because he's training you for something better. And so we have that excitement knowing and that confidence knowing that even though tough things come in, the Spirit of God is in this and leading us this way so that we can become better and stronger. Because God needs to entrust you and be confident in you that when he assigns you tasks to do in eternity, that you will do them, and do them with confidence, and do them with power, and do them with trust, and do them with humility, and do them in his name as an ambassador. God is readying you for a new life, an eternal life, and you get to do that here in this life as well. The second thing I learned was this. The enemy starts off in his temptations by questioning your sonship or daughtership to God. Notice what he said. If you are the son of God. He said that twice. Jesus knew he's the son of God. But Jesus came, if, if you are the son of God, really, are you? 
Yeah, question mark, are you? So notice that when you're being attacked, God or the enemy usually starts to go in and starts to uh, question your sonship or your, your, your daughtership or let's put it in easier terms, your salvation. The enemy will attack you and are you really saved? Did, you, did that really work? You weren't that sincere. Maybe you didn't really mean it. Or look what you did last week. Maybe it's lost. You see, the enemy likes to attack in your identity, who you are, how you relate to the Father. That's what he wants to break apart. He wants to sever the closeness, the intimacy that we all have through Christ to the Father. He wants to attack that. So look for that. Be alert. Be ready, knowing that the thoughts may come in and try and sever you and making you and attacking your identity so you're not confident in who you are. And you need to look in the mirror and tell yourself who you are. You're a child of the king. You have every power and authority that is from the father that Jesus had. You have that and actually more. So tell yourself that. Believe that. Walk in faith in that. Because the enemy will attack you there. He'll attack your identity. Number three, I noticed and I learned that he starts in that, starts to question who your source is. Who's your real source? And I looked in that and I thought, man, he said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Well, of course he was hungry, right? So he went right for the physical flesh thing. Hey, you're really hungry. If, you, if you're so great and you're, you're this God man, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Do a miracle. You can do it. So was it tempting? Yeah. Jesus could have done that like that right? But he didn't. But the enemy was attacking him, saying, who's going to be your source? And then Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of God's mouth. Who was, Jesus was saying, my source isn't this physical bread. My source, my sustenance comes from the Father. He's my sustenance. I don't need bread to live. I could never eat my whole life, and the power of God could sustain my physical body my whole life. So who's your source? Who's going to supply that paycheck? Is it the person you work for or is it the father? But a lot of us think, oh, my source, I've got to be my own source. Oh, I've got to do this because they're my source. Or the person is my emotional source. I need them. No. No one else is the source. The father is the source. And the enemy will come and lure you into thinking something else is the source. So be on the watch. Then, number four, I started the enemy noticing that the enemy it was also questioning who your protector was. Who's going to protect you? Who's watching over you, really? Well, go ahead, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Do a miracle, show off, because he was on the pinnacle, so there may have been, in that spirit where he took him, there may have been people down at that point. Maybe they didn't see him. I'm, we're not sure if it was in, the, in a spirit that he took him there or physically took him there, but... Throw yourself down. God said, I'll raise up angels to protect you. What, what does he respond in? He says, don't put the Lord God to your test. Don't test the Lord. So he was saying, no, my God's my protector. He said he would protect me. I'm not going to test that. I know that. You see, he didn't get in a conversation. Well, you know, you've got a good point. I wonder if Father's really going <laughs> to... He didn't like Eve go, well, I, God didn't say this. He's, well, I'm not sure what he said, actually. Do you see how poignant Jesus was? He knew what he said. So who is your protector? And that really speaks to uh, the enemy will come and try and get you to walk in unbelief and doubt and not trust in faith. You've got to walk by faith, not by sight, the Bible says. So five is um, uh, temptation. I learned, we, we learned by Jesus here that temptation is not sin. It's when you agree with it that it's sin. So God was being tempted, but yet without sin. So we talked about our agreement. Same concept. That just because you're being tempted and going through a fight doesn't mean there's anything wrong. It actually means you're in the right. God, if, if something's going on in your life and there's, you're, you're swimming upstream and things are hitting you, that's a good sign. Because if you're going downstream with the world and just going along with the world, nothing, no problems, I would worry then, right? So know that just because you're in a temptation the temptation doesn't become a problem until you come into agreement with it and believe it. And then, of course, we know Jesus said right away, nope, get out. And that's what you need to do. We need to do. Six, 
we talked about a little bit, but six, I noticed that he exploits you at your worst condition. He exploits you when you're hungry, when you're sick, or maybe rejected, or maybe struggling. Maybe there's a relationship breakup. Like we talked about last week, remember trauma? We had one of the stones on our wall was traumatic events. And when those kind of things happen, maybe a divorce, maybe you lose a friend, uh, maybe there's some, you lose someone to sick. There's a, a myriad of things, but look and be alert, sober-minded, and watchful when you're in a tough season of being absent from someone or there's a, a, a void in your heart, a job, not having a job. All those events, you need to be aware because the enemy likes to exploit that weakness. Remember, he's looking around. Oh, so they just broke up. I can, oh, you're so worthless. Man, you screwed that one up. Oh, man, don't ever date again. Don't ever trust anyone again. See, that's what the enemy's walking around that hedge, and he says, ooh, pain. Oh, oh, let's see what we can get there. Be alert. Be watchful, because the enemy, there's no days off for him. You can't take days off. And that's the key. You think, well, I need rest. No, being with God's presence, living in, his, in faith, is a constant rest. You walk in rest, but you need to be alert all the time. All right, number seven, we're almost there. Hang in there. Lunch is, will be fine. You'll be okay. The enemy's trying to attack you because you're hungry right now. Be watchful. <laughs> Don't be distracted. Listen. No, I'm kidding. Um, number seven, Jesus answered with the word. Deliberate, no debate, no reasoning, and no discussion. If you have to be in a long discussion with yourself about defeating something that the enemy's brought to you, that means you need to get with the Lord more and memorize the scriptures, meditate on the word day and night, Psalms 1 1. Um, get, the heart, get the word so in you that you won't sin. Hide it in your heart, David said, so that I won't sin against God. If you're debating and getting into reasoning and discussions like Eve did and like a lot of us, all of us have at some point, that just shows that we need to get to where we know the word. Do you understand? Did you see how Jesus quickly just, it is written, it is written, it is written. What was he doing? In the spirit, he had a huge sword, which is the word of God. He's saying, get out of here. Get out of here. But you can't do that unless you believe and are walking by faith, knowing what God's word says, because that's the only power you have is faith in him, right? It's not by our power, it's by God's strength, his spirit that gives us the power. It's not by chariots, how many tanks you have in a war. This, the Bible says it's not about tanks and, and guns and ARs. It's by his spirit. Are you with me? Okay. So know the word. When you're fighting, do what Jesus did be meditating on that word so that when a lie pops its ugly head up, you automatically recognize it. Be so familiar with the truth that when a lie pops up, you immediately recognize it because you're so familiar with what God's word says. Hey, that's not what God's word says. I reject that. No, immediately. Amen? So eight, and this kind of goes in with seven, but eight, I learned that Jesus was quick, firm, and confident in his responses. Ties in with seven, but we have to be quick, firm. We can't, if we don't know, it's like, well, I think Jesus, if you don't know, call a friend, look in your Bible app, whatever you're struggling with, do a search, and you'll find promises of God popping up. Call me, call your mentor, call someone in your life, and talk through those. And if you already know that you struggle in a certain area, and maybe you're having some victory right now, but you struggle in an area that you know you've fallen many times, Get with someone, find out what God's word says on that subject, get that, heart, get that word hidden in your heart, and because you have it hidden in there and you're, it's ready and active to go, when that lie pops up, your heart will go, oh, wait, I don't have to do that anymore. I'm free from sin. That's not, that's not temptation because God's word says this, I know, and it's quick, and you act upon it. Are you with me? You can do this. We can all do this. This is the life God wants you to live. And then nine is, like I said in the, Gospel Luke records that the devil left for another opportunity. So a lot of us read this and we think, oh, Jesus just got attacked one time and he's good. Ministry, no, he just left because he looked, okay, whoa, whoa. He poked in three areas on, on Jesus' hedge. 
Because Jesus walked like a man, so God had a hedge of protection around him, and the enemy walked around, and, oh, I got three, I'll try these three. And right away, he, he poked his hand and got cut off. <laughs> so the devil's like, okay, well, this didn't work, so I'll come around and I'll look again later. So he went off for another opportune time. And we see he came back, for sure, remember, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Oh, man, is there any way out? <laughs> I mean, come on, Jesus is like, man, is there, there's anything, Father, but not my will, your will. So there was an opportune time to be tempted to just give up, but he didn't. Isn't this encouraging to know how Jesus fought? And we can do this, guys. We can live this out day by day by fighting and taking God's word up and believing it and acting upon it. Amen? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you, God, that you are teaching us and showing us as a family how we can live an abundant, uh, victorious Christian life, God. And Lord, we want to honor your name by living that type of life, God. We want to honor who you are by implementing all the resources of the cross that we have available to us to live this life, to love people, to uh, get ourselves and others out of bondage and torment and, and hurts and pains and sicknesses and bondages, Lord. We want to do that, God. And so we ask today that you quicken your word into our hearts, God. Seal this by your Holy Spirit and take us this week, God, as, as we spend time with you and we get into your word with your Holy Spirit, that you would solidify these things in our thoughts so that we could be actively participating this week in the fight, just like Jesus fought. And so, God, we ask for your help. We can't do it on our own, God. We can't do it alone, Lord. We can't do it on our, by ourselves, Lord. So we're asking for your help. And Lord, I also ask right now in the name of Jesus, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, because you cannot fight the fight until you have surrendered your life to Christ. And if there's anyone here today that has not surrendered their life to Jesus and made him Lord, if that's you and you want to do that today so you can start fighting like this, I want you to raise your hand. Is there anyone here today? I will always give an opportunity. I see that hand. Anyone else today? Anyone else today say, I have not surrendered my life to Christ. I want to do that in order to start fighting this way. Anybody else this morning? Anyone else? Father God, we thank you for that, Lord, and we give you praise and honor. And we thank you, God, for your goodness. We'll be careful to give you all the honor. Lord, we'll, we'll be careful to share this with someone else. We won't hoard this to ourselves, but we will give away what we learned today to someone else so that they can be free. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen? Amen. amen. God bless. Have a great week. Um, we still, I think we still have stuff out there, but worship team, there's going to be a quick meeting. If you could stick around, that would be great. But hey, hug someone and introduce yourself to someone before you leave. All right? God bless.